0: And it's following on from the birth of Moses from chapter 2, verses 1 and his growing up time. So Moses flees to Midian on page 41 or page 59, chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two, two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known When Pharaoh heard of this he tried to kill Moses But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian Where he sat down by a well Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock Some shepherds came along and drove them away But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them Why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? he asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the Word of the Lord.
1: Have you ever had one of those days where everything you do goes wrong? We all have them from time to time. Some days, everything you try turns to dust, where you seem to stumble from one disaster to the next, only pausing to wreck something else on the way. Have you ever had one of those days Well, today as we pick up my very occasional series on the book of Exodus, we're going to join Moses, the adopted grandson of the King of Egypt, as he has one of those days where he can't do anything right. Actually, it was a few of those days in a row. What does it mean to trust God when it feels like your whole life is crumbling around you? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word to us. Please, Lord, take my words and make them yours. Would you please speak to your people through your word this morning? Amen. Uh, Let me recap the story of Exodus so far. God's people Israel had moved to Egypt because of a famine. Uh, One of Israel's sons, Joseph, had become a pretty big deal there. Uh, Through a series of unlikely events, he'd become the Prime Minister, second only to the king. And so, the king of Egypt gave Joseph a place for his family to call home, the region of Goshen, and they made themselves at home, and they stayed a very long time. My father has a a bit of a rule when he visits people, it comes from an old Chinese proverb, visitors are like fish, after three days they start to stink. Uh, Israel completely ignored that advice, and they stayed a very long time. So long that Grandpa Israel grew old and died. So long that Joseph and his brothers grew old and died. And still the fish kept stinking. The family of Israel stayed in Egypt for 400 years and they grew from a family into a, a nation, an enormous nation, just as God had promised. God had promised to Abraham, the ancestor of Israel, that they would be as many as the stars in the sky. God had promised to bring them into His place and He promised to bless them and through them to bless all the peoples of the world. Uh, God had kept the first of these promises and there were so many Israelites in the land of Egypt that the Pharaoh was afraid of them. And so, he'd been trying to reduce their numbers but everything he tried failed, because you can't stop the promises of God. Pharaoh tried enslaving the Israelites and making them do forced labour, but that plan failed, their numbers increased. Pharaoh tried recruiting the Israelite midwives as his secret assassins, but that failed because they would not do it, they defied him. Pharaoh even tried a public edict, he made it the duty of all good Egyptians to throw baby Israelite boys into the Nile River. But that plan backfired because his own daughter rescued one of the boys and adopted him as her son. And so it ended with an Israelite man living in the royal palace of Egypt, uh, part of the royal family. No matter what Pharaoh tried, he could not stop the promises of God. And as we pick up the story, quite some time has passed. The baby Moses has become Prince Moses probably about 40 years old by this point, the adopted grandson of the king of Egypt. He lived in the royal palace, he was well-fed, he wore fine clothing, he had one of the best educations going. He could ride a horse, drive a chariot, shoot a bow, fight with spear and shield, kill a man with his bare hands. He probably knew how to lead soldiers in battle too... And he had personal access to some of the most powerful people in the world at the time. Let's pick up the story in verse 11. You might find it helpful to have a Bible open as we go. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. Here is Prince Moses, off in his chariot to watch the slaves at work. It seems like Moses was aware of his heritage, verse 11 calls them his own people but I think it's pretty obvious that he really had no idea what it was to be one of his people because his life is nothing like theirs. He lives in a palace, they live in a slave camp. They did hard labour every day, he watched them work. His life is nothing like theirs and so he may have known that they were his own people But he had no idea what it was to be one of them. Now on this particular day, when Moses went out to watch his people at work, he expected to see just that, work, hard labour, but what he actually saw made his blood boil. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers, one of his own people. Things were still terrible for God's people, Israel, the Hebrews. Uh, Just incidentally, the book of Exodus uses these terms completely interchangeably. Israel, the people of Israel, Israelite, Hebrews, it just just flips around between them. Uh, As far as I can tell, there's no difference between them at all. Um, Things were still terrible for God's people. Their bitter slavery was ongoing. The forced labour continued. The brutal beatings hadn't stopped. And so Moses was faced with a choice. Who was he going to be? Was he going to be Moses, the Prince of Egypt, who supported the regime that was mistreating his people? Was he going to be a part of the machine that was even beating his own people to death? Or, was he going to use his education, his position, his influence, to try and change things? Actually, Moses chose to do neither of those things. Have a look at verse 12, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. That seems like a pretty rash move, Moses. But this Egyptian was beating one of Moses' brothers to death. What was he supposed to do? He stepped in to teach the Egyptian a lesson. Moses beat the Egyptian. Unfortunately, things got a little bit out of hand uh, because Moses was about to have one of those days. So he had to hide the body. Oops. But fortunately, Egypt is mostly sand, so it's pretty easy. And hey, no one saw, right? Instead of using his power, his position, his influence, Moses engaged in direct action to try and stop the unjust treatment of his people. But Moses was about to have one of those weeks when nothing would go right. Right? next day, Prince Moses did what he always did. He hopped in his chariot and he went out from the palace to watch his own people at work. What did he see this day? Verse 13, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? As if the mistreatment of God's people by the Egyptians wasn't enough. Now Moses found one Hebrew beating another Hebrew... And so, he intervened. And it does look like Moses has learned his lesson from yesterday. He doesn't use his fists this time, he uses words. Mate, stop it! What are you doing? He's your brother! Why are you hitting him? Fair question. But Moses was having one of those days. Because look at how the man responds. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian? Moses tried to save his people from slavery and from each other, but the response was, who do you think you are, riding in here in your fancy chariot, sticking your nose in where it's not wanted? And to make matters worse, turns out Moses wasn't as careful yesterday as he thought he'd been. Because the Hebrew knows what Moses did. He knows that he killed that Egyptian yesterday and he accuses him of wanting to do it again are you thinking of killing me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And that's one of the problems with sin, isn't it? You think you've got away with it and then, out of the blue, it comes back to bite you on the bum. You think you've escaped, you think you've got away clean, but the truth has this horrible habit of becoming known. And even if you do get away with it in this life, nothing escapes God's notice, nothing at all. He will give to each of us according to what we have done. He will judge our actions, our thoughts and even the hidden secrets of our hearts Moses was having one of those days. He tried to save his people, but he got carried away and accidentally killed the Egyptian. He tried to cover it up, but it turns out at least this Hebrew brother knew. He tried to break up a fight between his own people, but they wanted nothing to do with him. Moses was having one of those days. And then, to make matters worse, Pharaoh found out. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Pharaoh heard about it, he tried to kill Moses, Moses legged it and ended up camping out by a well in Midian. Hebrew storytelling is really good at telling you lots of action in very few words, isn't it? Like, there's there's like a half-hour movie scene in that sentence. Um, But that's okay. Uh, Hebrew story is really good at summarising stuff. Uh, Moses was having one of those days, one of those weeks really, it's probably taken him a few days to flee from Egypt. He tried to do something good, he tried to save his people from their slavery, their unjust slavery, but things got out of hand. He accidentally killed the Egyptian, his own people rejected his efforts and then his grandfather found out and he had to run for his life. Not exactly the way he was planning things were going to go. When he went out to see his own people at work. He started the week as a prince living in a palace and now he's camped out by a well at the back of beyond with nothing to his name but the clothes on his back. Let's read on. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. This is a pretty common scene of life in those days, they didn't have running water Uh, And so, if there was no convenient lake or river, you had to dig a well. And once you've dug your well, you bring your sheep and your cows down to the well once a day to get a drink. Um, You you bucket up water out of the well and fill up a trough and let them drink, and then once they've had enough, you fill up the buckets again and you take the buckets back home to use for drinking and cooking and washing and anything else you need it for. And that's what's going on here. Moses witnesses the seven daughters of a priest come down to the well with, with their father's sheep. Now, this is actually the start of a pretty standard story scene known as a type scene, Um, A type scene is a stereotyped piece of action where everyone knows the story, everyone knows what's going to happen. So, let's take an example that you all know. Um, Good guy, bad guy, on top of a train, fighting. What's going to happen? Someone's going to get knocked off, aren't they? Is it going to be the good guy or the bad guy? We don't know. What's going to knock him off? Will it be a tree, a bridge, a helicopter? Who knows? And that's the interest in the story, is that you know what's going to happen But the storyteller gets to play with your expectations. Um, I've actually seen a train fight scene where no one got knocked off, it was really disappointing. (laughs) This is a biblical type scene, Uh, uh, it's called Boy Meets Girl at Well. Great name. And the standard formula goes like this, the hero travels to a foreign land, check, Moses has gone to Midian. Um, The hero meets a girl or some girls at a well, check, Uh, someone draws water from the well, the girl or girls rush off to tell their father ex- father excitedly about this man. There's a meal and a marriage. Okay, well, let's see what happens next. Moses is in the foreign land, here are the girls. How's he going to introduce himself? Some shepherds came along and drove the girls away. And again, this is pretty common. Because wells were so important to life, you need water. They were often the subject of disputes and battles even. And these shepherd men won't let the girls draw water. Well, here's your chance, Moses. You've been a failure at saving your people from slavery, but maybe, just maybe, you can succeed at romance instead. If you rescue these girls, you're in, buddy. Some shepherds came along and drove the girls away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. Oh, Moses, what a guy! He couldn't rescue his people from slavery, but at least he could rescue these girls. And at this point, in the type scene, we expect the girls to run back to their dad and excitedly tell them about this wonderful man they've just met. But Moses was having one of those days. Far from being a hopeless romantic, we, f- we see that Moses is hopeless at romance, because the girls don't go running for their father to tell him excitedly about what happened, they just go home. Look at verse 18, "...when the girls returned to Re- well, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, he even drew water for us and watered the flock." It's pretty anticlimactic, isn't it? Um, when you look at the other examples of this Boy Meets Girl at Well story, um, it's always that, that she, she runs to her dad and excitedly tells him about all the things that have happened, these girls couldn't care less, they've just gone home and if Dad hadn't bothered to ask, they would never have told him about what had happened that day. Moses is having one of those days, he's failed to save his people, he's failed at being romantic. Lucky for Moses, the girl's father, Reuel, knew the script. He knew what was happening here because look at verse 20, and where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. You see, Reuel knew his type scenes. Come on, girls, that man was a potential husband. Invite him round for some dinner. And this brings the, the scene to its usual conclusion. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Boy meets girl at well, ends with Moses marrying Zipporah after all. Oh, and they all lived happily ever after except they didn't, because Moses was having one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those years. Verse 22, Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Moses had a new life, a new wife, a new home, a son And yet despite this, despite all these blessings, he felt like nothing was right. He felt like he didn't belong and so he named his son Gershom, which means an alien there, a stranger there. Despite his new life and all the blessings he'd found, Moses felt like something was profoundly wrong. And I suspect that's how many refugees feel, even years after they've settled in a new home, like something is just not right, even though to look at their life day to day, it looks pretty good. Moses now knew something of what life was like for his people. They were slaves in Egypt and day to day, year to year, they faced back-breaking manual labour and no hope of change. Moses, in attempting to save them, had given up his place as a prince and he now lived as a shepherd. He would spend the next 40 years of his life mostly sleeping outdoors as he followed around after the flocks of his, father, his father-in-law, Reuel. Moses' quest to rescue his people from slavery had failed. He had to flee for his life and live as an alien in a foreign land. He felt utterly alone and helpless, despite the new life and the blessings he'd found. But the story doesn't quite finish there. The storyteller wants us to know what was going on back in Egypt while Moses was living in the wilderness. Verse 23 During that long period, the king of Egypt died. And that's a sudden moment of hope, isn't it? Because the king of Egypt has been the problem all along. He's the one who was afraid of God's people, Israel. He's the one who enslaved them. He's the one who ordered the midwives to start murdering baby boys. He's the one who gave the public edict to throw the boys into the Nile. If he's dead, maybe things are going to get better. Unfortunately, no. The death of the king brought no change for Israel. They were still slaves in a land that was not their own. They still had no rights, no way out, no hope of appeal. And in that kind of hopeless situation what do you do? What can you do? Well, they did the only thing possible. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God's people cried out to God for help, And suddenly there was hope for change. Up to this point of the story, God has been largely silent and in the background but from here on in, He takes centre stage. He will speak at length to Moses, He will send Moses, He'll take Moses to confront the King of Egypt. He will pit Himself against the military might of Egypt. He will take a people for Himself from the midst of another nation, take them to His place to be His people under His blessing and through them bless the whole world. Uh, But that's a story for another day, another year perhaps. I want to finish today with a few reflections on this story. What kind of a story is this? Well, it's a tragedy, isn't it? Because everything the hero does, fails everything. He tried to save his people from slavery but he was rejected by them and had to run for his life. He tried to woo a bride but she and her sisters just went home. Her dad got the romance back on track and they ended up married with a son and yet despite that, Moses felt lost and alone and alienated, like something was dreadfully wrong with his life. Moses had left behind his life as a prince and entered into the experience of his own people. Like Israel, he felt trapped and there was nothing he could do about it. This story is a tragedy, everything the hero did went wrong. He was left feeling like his whole life was a mess and he could not understand how he would got to this point. And I reckon that's an experience that many of us can relate to. At times, life feels utterly out of control, doesn't it? And sometimes that's because it is out of our control. Uh, things happen without our awareness, without our permission, and we're left reeling. What do we do? Well, when life gets us down, when we feel like aliens in a foreign land, how do we respond? Well, let's consider how this tragic story Points us to Jesus. The first way is that is, is that like Israel was trapped in slavery, we are trapped in sin. Israel could do nothing to help themselves. There was no saviour who could come from within to rescue them. Moses was their best hope. He had the best education, um, the best training, the best position, utter failure. And that's a picture of all humanity. We are trapped by sin, our own sin, and each other's sin and it feels like something is dreadfully wrong in life because it is. Our sin alienates us from God, it cuts us off from God and there's nothing we can do to fix the problem. This story points us to Jesus because like Israel, we need a Saviour to come from outside to save us. There's nothing from within that can save us. A second way this story points us to Jesus is rejection. The rejection of Moses is like the rejection of Jesus. Moses tried to save his own people, but they would not have him. And the same was true of Jesus. As John writes in John 1.11, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And you see it played out through the whole story of Jesus' life, don't you? The leaders of His people oppose Him, they reject Him, they kill Him. God's people would not accept Moses as their saviour and they, they would not accept Jesus either. And we see the same thing today. We humans are alienated from God, we're cut off from Him because of our sin and God has provided a solution, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet most people don't want to hear it. Most people won't have a bar of it. If you try and tell them the Gospel, they accuse you of lording it over them, or of moral grandstanding. Or remember the words of Jesus, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. A third way this tragic story points us to Jesus, is Moses' cry of alienation. I feel like a stranger, an alien in a foreign land. Reminds me of Jesus' words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did it take to undo the alienation between humanity and God caused by sin? It took God the Son entering into our experience, becoming one of us, dwelling among us. Just like Moses left behind the palace of Egypt to enter the experience of his people, so Jesus, God the Son, left behind the power and privilege of heaven itself. He took on the nature of a servant. He even took on the shameful death of a rebellious slave for our sake. In his death, Jesus was cut off alienated, estranged from His Father. He felt utterly alone and helpless. Jesus can relate to our feelings of alienation because He's been there. He knows what it is to feel lost and alone. But more than that, He doesn't just sympathise with us, He offers us a way out as well. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which deals with our sin... God offers us adoption as His own children. The adoption of Moses into a new family hints at this real and final solution of God to undo the alienation and estrangement between us and Him. God has sent His Spirit into our hearts and so we can cry, God, our Father. Isn't that amazing? We can call God, our Father... God has adopted us as His children. And the main way we experience that now is in church. Um, Church is this foretaste of eternity, uh, where we will know God, where we'll be known by Him, and we'll do that together. And okay, like Moses' new family, the experience of church does sometimes let us down, Uh, sometimes not all it's cracked up to be. And I think that's because we're a gathering of forgiven sinners, isn't it? We're a group of people Who still make sinful, selfish choices, even as we strive to do better, even as we prayed that we would do better. But the experience of church is a glimpse of that glorious day, when sin and death will pass away, when we will know our Heavenly Father, just as we are already known by Him. So, in the meantime, as we wait for that day, what do we do? Well, God doesn't usually provide quick fixes, He doesn't normally just snap His fingers and resolve the mess we're in. That happens sometimes, for some people, but mostly, God leaves us to live in the mess. If you think about the situation for Israel, from the birth of Moses, to Moses' attempt at rescue was 40 years. Um, The next part of the story is another 40 years, um, when God will speak to Moses at Mount Sinai and set in motion His, his grand rescue plan, Moses is 80 at that point. Uh, and so that's an entire generation are born, grow up, grow old and die in slavery as they wait for God to change things. We are a lot like the people of Israel in Egypt. Um, a lot of the time we're left to struggle to face it daily, to patiently endure suffering and alienation and sin and its impact on our lives. We're left to endure situations that we are powerless to change, enduring trials that in the kindness of God are making us more like Jesus. Waiting patiently for sin to be done, for that glorious day when sin and death will pass away, And as we wait, like God's people Israel, all we can really do is pray, entrust ourselves to the hands of our loving Heavenly Father who sees us, who knows what we're going through and who cares. He will bring an end to crying and mourning and pain. He's guaranteed it with the death and resurrection of His Son and He's guaranteed it by sending us His Spirit. I'd like to finish today by crying out to our Heavenly Father, entrusting ourselves to His care. Would you join me as we do that? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the many blessings You've given us, for the many good things in our lives and yet, Father, so often it feels like something is terribly wrong. Father, we're sorry for our sins and turn away from them. And we thank You for the death of Jesus and for our adoption as Your sons and daughters. Father, please help us to cling to You more closely um, when life threatens, uh, when struggles enroach. Uh, Lord, I thank You that You know what we're going through. Jesus, thank You that You understand what we're feeling spirit thank you that you are with us in the mess please enable us to trust our father Uh, please enable us uh, to become more like jesus gracious father please bring that final day soon when sin and death and suffering and mourning and crying and pain will pass away come lord jesus amen